This is Adam Miller with a live version of Home from the album The Defining of Success on Tell Craig Your Story Podcast.
Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to Adam Miller. Now Adam is from Newcastle, Australia. He is a solo guitarist and he has brought out seven full-fledged albums uh, in his career. He has a new album coming out in August and he plans to do a, a big tour once the pandemic is over. And here's some of the the quotes about Adam from Australian Guitar Magazine. 25 players who have changed guitar. Uh, It takes an impossible gifted player to improvise independent melodies, harmonies, and bass lines all at the same time. While maintaining an impeccable groove, Australia's Adam Miller is such a rare phenomenon. But before we go, please go to our website. We are on Podbean, Story at podbean.com. We are also on all the social medias. We are at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Story, And we also have WeChat for our Chinese listeners and VK for our Russian listeners. And we also have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. Uh, We're on all the major streaming circuits. Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, Spotify, to name a few. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Adam Miller on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hey, Adam. How are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. Thanks. How are you? Uh, th- yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. Thank you very much for your time. I've been asking everybody this to start off with. How are you doing with the coronavirus? You know, how has it affected you and, you know, your work? And yeah. is your family staying safe? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the it's definitely turned my world upside down. Yes. Uh, to put it simply, uh, my wife, Holly, and I were moving back to L.A. on March 27. Right. So I think it was about March, I'm going to say 16, where it was obvious that that wasn't going to happen. It kind of changed very quickly in the space of a few days. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we were, I, I had a whole, you know, touring throughout the US for the whole oh, year. Um, so that's all disappeared. And, you know, we had our a house lined up in Los Angeles and all those sort of things. So yeah, it's, it's changed very radically. However, we are stoked that we got, you know, stuck in Australia. Yeah, uh, and in Newcastle, and such a um, shame, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and while you know, it's I I have known friends around the world that have contracted it and had it. Oh. Um, I haven't known anyone firsthand that's died, but I know people that have been on respirators for eight weeks and in a coma wow. and getting through it. You know, we were just super thankful for the situation yeah. we had of being able to. Uh, be in Newcastle and I, you know, be relatively safe and, you know, even take advantage of the situation to be able to exercise and have a forced holiday in a way yes. just to, yeah. you know, not have the stress of um, the constant hustle of booking work for the future. So it was yeah. sort of, uh, it was almost a much needed rest in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, which wasn't the case for many people, but that's yeah what it was personally for me. And 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 the US seemed to cop it really hard as well. Actually, I, I had planned to go there as well. I was yeah. actually I was actually right in the middle of it. I actually yeah. live in Shanghai at the moment, so mm. um, the plan was for me to go to because I don't like coming back to Australia just yeah. for nothing. You know, yeah. just I can see my family anytime. So yeah. you know, I wanted to go to the US, and then they they stopped it just before uh the cutoff the lockdown yeah. so um, yeah but yeah that's a shame that you know a couple of people that have had had the coronavirus are they in the u.s or, or were they uh, here? i've had i've people i know in the u.s people right. i know in spain right and uh and the uk as well right. and poland yeah so yeah, from all over, I guess. Yeah. So, so did you actually start your tour in the US? No, we never, we never took off. So right. it was like, um, you know, I, I think our flight was March twenty seven back to the US. Right. Um, and I remember getting like an email. There was a festival like the weekend after I got there. I was playing in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, right. and I remember like you know, the organizer sort of emailed me saying, yeah, I don't know if this is going to happen. I'm not sure. And then I was thinking, no, it's fine. Come on. But it's just a virus. And then that was on a Wednesday. And I know by the Friday it was like, no, no one's going anywhere ever in the world's yes. down. Yeah. It, so it happened in the space of two days. It was like, you guys were overreacting in my head to, yeah, we're not going anywhere. So Yeah. Right. And yeah. have, have those gigs, have those shows now been rescheduled now or are they just automatically being cancelled? Uh, a lot of it for me would just cancel. They're not, and to be perfectly honest, like there's no knowledge of when you can reschedule anything. Yeah, that's true. But, um, you know, we still, you, I know you can travel to the US under very special circumstances, but I'm not really interested in doing that yeah. <laughs> right now. And there's no venues open in the US yet. Yeah. Um, there's no music happening on a, like a ticketed sort of scale and everything I do is a ticketed event usually. So, you know, if tickets don't sell, I don't get paid. So I can't really, That's right. um, uh, yeah, warrant that sort of 
So uh, have you taken have you taken advantage of this uh, sort of thing where everybody uh, where it's online now? Have you actually started doing uh, online shows or or like? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I've done a few. Um, sort of started to get into the online show thing, working out the uh, technicalities of it as well. <laughs> yes. Um, especially uh, with you know, Australian internet speeds yes. <laughs> being a little bit difficult to stream high quality video and audio. Yes. Uh, and then some, you know, part of it realizing that actually that's not the point and the way a live show online works sometimes better is that they are lo-fi and you are just, it is about like communicating with someone and, you know, answering questions on yes. screen more so rather than, you know, trying to present this concert like yeah. image in the corner <laughs> of your bedroom. Because it, it just it just seems very interesting, like you know, with our broadband and uh, trying to sync up, you know, four people in four different places, yeah. trying to put the music together, you know. Well, yeah, that sort of thing doesn't happen. Like if you see things of people playing online together, that's not real time. Yeah. Um, yes. The the technology and speed doesn't exist for that yet. I've heard of one software that it will allow possibly for you to play in time with someone if you're within like you know a 50 kilometer radius anyway so right. like the, the whole network is close enough that it's not jumping around too much and that's people in the u.s i don't think australian speeds would keep up with that but you know i've done quite a few collaborative videos but they actually they actually are quite a bit of work you basically have to play along to someone else's video and then record yourself doing it and video it and then stitch it all together. And right. um, they're actually, you know, they're, they're a good, you know, couple of hours in each one minute Instagram video to make yeah. those look, <laughs> well, make, make them sound right actually first and foremost. And then, yeah, getting all the videos and things to sync there. They're quite a bit of work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And have you been writing new material in this period or just, you know, just sort of working out what planning for the future or? Well, yeah, I've been, um, I've been writing some new material, nothing really has stuck yet, but I'm, I did record a new album in December yes. in LA. So it, you know, it was meant to be released in May, but, uh, now is August. August. So, right. so it was a lot of the time of working out how to go about releasing that without touring and with all the way press is working in the world and where they, how so much of music gets released with uh, Northern Hemisphere summer festivals and that aren't right. happening now. Yes. So it was just a rejig. So a lot of my time has actually been just getting that finished and sorted. So, right. Yeah. And Going to the days now, like you said before, how, how it's all about CD sales. Now it's all like online and making yeah. sure that you, you've got your, your video clips up, up so people can see that. So yeah. you've noticed that a bit of a change now, like with the modern sort of... Well, uh, I think that's been the way actually for the past few years. And, yes. um, you know, I've never had the team around me. I, you know, I'm self-managed, I'm my own agent. I pretty much do everything myself at That's this great. stage still. So I've never been able to like tour an album per se anyway. It's not like, you know, here's my new album and here's the tour named after that album. It yeah. just hasn't, it hasn't really worked that way. So this, the way the digital thing works is that I'm usually doing it 
in between gigs and just trying to work it out. But having not had shows and gigs to do and traveling, I've actually had the time to sort of uh, make some videos and do some things and think about how I might release stuff. So um, it reaches the most amount of people as possible. But there's still a lot of, you know, actually through all of it, I have been selling CD and vinyl still, funnily enough. Like people have been, um, you know, from all over the world have been wanting to actually get that stuff and dig a bit back into uh, the physical formats while they're at home, I guess. I think vinyl's coming back, uh, yeah. making make a resurgent. You go into like a music store and uh, I went to JB Hi-Fi uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, the first five rows were just full of full of vinyl. And that's great. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I from personal experience, like, most people, if they want to buy uh, music now, like a, they actually want the product and the feeling of it. So yes. uh, it's very rare that anyone has a CD player anymore. Like I know my only CD player is in my car, car. Yes. now. Um, you know, I don't even burn a CD when I listen to the final mix of my album anymore. That used to be the thing. You'd burn it onto a CD and take it for a drive in the yeah, car. car yeah. <laughs> uh, but now, you know, I just put it, on my phone it's actually it's probably even playing from dropbox from the cloud just so i can you know listen to it while i drive around but people like especially on tour still buy cds if they don't have anything else because they sort of just want to take something physical home sometimes and then vinyl is just the big expression of that because it's this big beautiful artwork um you know if you have a great system then it does sound amazing if you you know if you've gone to Audi and bought the vinyl player on $30 on special. Um, you know, it probably, it, uh, I know it sounds terrible versus even what you're going to stream online. But uh, yeah, it is a, it is a cool thing to um, have. I never thought I'd have my music on records. It's, it's interesting that it's turned out that way. That's really good. And do you have a player, like a record player? Oh, I don't. I travel so much. Like we are so light and what, yes. you know, the, most of what I own is recording equipment and um, guitars. Right. So, yeah, and Keeping yeah, it. We, Keeping we travel so much that, yeah, we haven't had a consistent house now for it's almost three years. That's That's, right. <laughs> that, that was actually one of the things we were excited about in L.A. was that we were finally getting a place that was ours for a while. Right. That we could, um, yeah, set and up how, a little. And how are you sort of uh, balancing sort of life? with like being married yourself and mm. uh how, how do you balance that with like having no a- agent or management how, how, like uh, how, how do you balance that it's it's different it's just unpredictable mm. is the easiest way yes i can sort of put it um and the music industry has changed significantly like you know from when i started playing professionally like 22 years ago now yes. You, the fact that you can release your own records and they're on the same, essentially in the same store as anyone, like when yes. you're talking Spotify or Apple Music, um, you know, I couldn't have my music in the the Sanity store when right. I was a kid, you know, yes. uh, unless I had a label. So having that sort of somewhat equal playing field has opened the world up and allowed me to continue uh, really being a musician despite not having, you know, the 
the team around me. And I think, yeah, the thing is, it is just unpredictable. Like you talk about um, planning and planning for the future. It just, you, you sort of make these loose plans, but they're always can be turned upside down. And, you know, this year is prime example of that. (laughs) I don't think anybody could predict predict this. (laughs) Yeah. And definitely it's also, you know, a time of going, oh, well, what am I doing? Like, is our gigs going to be part of our future? Are people mm. going to be part of that? Because um, myself and so many, well, actually most musicians now, no matter where they're at, the bulk of their income actually comes from performance, not from anything yeah. else. So, uh, yeah, the whole music industry, it's going to be interesting to see how it comes through. And, and, and with so with the modern music as well, uh, a lot of the people have had to go out, you know, to make that income. It's, yeah. It's sort of a little difficult now with the downloads and the illegal downloading. So to going out and playing, like you said before, and to have that ticket, you know, yeah, um, is the is the best way to 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 you know make that money. So um, yeah, to have it exactly. stopped is, uh, but I guess that's a good thing that that it makes the bands go out and play more, play live instead of just sort of making and creating music. Yeah, so. yeah, it's definitely a huge part of it. So it's cool that. Yeah, where it'll end up, whether anyone will want to be in a room next close proximity to someone you don't know anymore, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. And, and let's hope that they, um, you know, I, I see like sporting events now, they're starting to have crowds. I think New Zealand mm. had 20,000 at a rugby union game yeah. on the weekend. So uh, yeah. fingers crossed that, that transfers yeah. over to music as well. Yeah, music is a little different, and there's already very weird guidelines around it. Like, mm. especially because so much of it's in licensed alcohol venues and things. So, yeah, I think it'll be quite a while before it actually gets back to a standard. Like, and uh, most venues, especially, well, it is global, but you know, my understanding is more from Australia. Like, they just cannot operate on the current mm. numbers and the amount of space you got to have yeah, without, yeah. you know, charging you know, a hundred dollars a ticket to see your yeah. local band yeah. is like, sometimes like it sounds ridiculous, but by the time you pay the venue and the staff and the musicians, it's just, it's going to be, yeah, it could come out looking a little bit different. Yes. Well, yeah. ho- ho- maybe at the start it might be expensive, but, uh, yeah. uh, you'll definitely see, I, I think it'll be, it's, it's kind of good in a way because it'll, People will want to go out and uh, see live music and, and you know, go that out. That is the hope. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they've been stuck at home for, you know, four or five months, you know. Come yeah. on, I want to go out and, you know, you know, watch, yeah. some, watch, it, watch a band. So yeah. uh, fingers crossed that that happens. Yeah. So, so Adam, let's go way back. Let's go way yeah. back. So you grew up uh, a local boy uh, from Newcastle as well. Charlestown yeah. I grew up in. Right. You grew yeah. up in Charlestown, right? And uh, did your parents or did your family have have sort of a musical background like w- when you were a young kid or not? So no one played. Right. My my mum can well she could play like a little bit of piano. Yes. And my dad's always been a massive music fan, but he can't play anything. Right. Um, but just. I think it was just because of friends of family. My mum sent me to organ lessons when I was four. Right. So I had to learn like the, you know, the two stage organ with the pedals. Oh, wow. Um, so I did that from four years old. 
And then when when did you sort of start to pick up a guitar? Did you have like a, any school bands or is that how it all started? So starts? I started to pick up the guitar when I was about eight because my dad did have a guitar. Um, he went, he was a school teacher. And so he had a guitar that he had to learn to play something at teacher's college. Right. Back in the day, you had to learn a musical instrument. So there was a guitar in our house and I picked it up and uh, I worked my way around it pretty quickly. Like it made sense to me, which was amazing. And then, um, so that was still like primary school. So there wasn't really many people playing music. Yes. And uh, then by the time, you know, I was in high school, like, which was mid nineties and everyone was into Nirvana and the whole sort of grunge scene. No one wanted me in their band cause I was too good. <laughs> They're like, nah, we don't, we don't want you. Yeah. So unfortunately I sort of missed the whole high school band thing until well, you couldn't play. Uh, they wouldn't let you play three chords. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't want to either. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was sort of this weird thing of where, uh, I wasn't allowed to be in the bands cause I made everyone look bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's... it wasn't until, um, you know, the guys in high school got sort of good enough to play like, chili peppers stuff and rage against yeah. the machine that yes. then they went oh yeah now now we need you to play you come in, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> need to get some solos happening yeah. so um so was it a band that you you're no no band you're just just playing by yourself at that stage just for, yeah for well for most of high school i was just um yeah just playing by myself so i was from when i was yeah, like eight or nine, I got a Tommy Emanuel cassette, like a very famous Australian guitarist who's now hugely famous around the world. Uh, and I just loved it because I liked that he didn't sing because when I was young, I couldn't sing because my voice hadn't broken. I sounded terrible. Yeah. So I just thought I sounded exactly the same. So <laughs> I just learned all that stuff when I was a kid, um, right. like really young. And that was that sort of created the foundation of everything. Yeah, that I'm into now. And do you remember your first uh, gig that you actually played? And do you, you remember how much your first gig was, or how much you got paid for? Well, I, you know, I did a lot of performing in high school still. So I was oh. in all the high school, like the official bands, like the high school jazz band. Right. And, you know, uh, our school did like performances I remember, like, I played at the Opera House when I was 15 in a, like, in a small, like, rock band that would, was put together by the school. Wow. Um, yeah, but the actual first, like, gig in a, in a pub, you know, I'm thinking it was uh, with this band I was in that was called Liquefaction. Right. And so we formed towards the end of high school. We all went to different schools, actually. We met through this um, combined high school or combined schools concerts they have in Newcastle called Starstruck. Oh, yes. And, yeah. Yes. And so we uh, we all went to different schools and we, yeah, we would have played SJs like when we were all right. just 18. One of us wasn't 18. He was young, but he was like 16, but we didn't tell anyone. Uh, <laughs> and, you know. I think they were pretty lenient back then. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, guess, I'm guessing we got a hundred bucks or something, you know. Right. So things haven't changed that much. 
and and I also uh, can remember was that at the stage there where you were working at the the music shop, at, yeah, at Lambton. Yeah, I, this is where I I remember meeting you a couple of times. I always remember coming in and. You know, I, I was in my, you know, when it was on the grunge, mine was more the heavy metal. <laughs> cool. So I, 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 I remember going in and asking you for, like, the, the thickest pick and the, the thickest strings, and you're going, you know what, you don't really need that to have a heavy sound. It's like, yeah. but that's what it says. This is what <laughs> all, my, all my favorite guitar players are doing. So yeah. I want the heaviest, you know. But, I, I, um, would have, I would have gone somewhere in the middle. I know, like, the yes. pick I use now is, like, a three millimeter thick one like most yeah. people oh no it's yeah it's three millimeters like most people freak out about that and wow. i do like heavy strings as well but yeah if you want to play fast i don't know but yeah. yes that was uh that shop is amazing so um it, and how long so- did you how long did you work there for because uh, it, it seemed to me as if you had a lot of freedom to sort of play your music do your studies you know yeah i was only ever there like two days a week Right. Uh, but it was, uh, it was about seven years, like from, right. yeah. And it was, it was really amazing because that store has this history of actually employing great musicians, like right. really well-known Newcastle musicians. You see the people that have like just worked there in the retail store and it has that community around it as well of like, um, I don't know, like quality musicians. And I learned so much there, like musically and business like wise, not, not, not from being in the store business wise, but like the people that would come in and like the musicians I met there. uh, I think it gave me a lot of cred in the Newcastle scene as well in hometown because I met all these older guys that I never would have met otherwise. So, and, so for example, who were who you meeting there that were coming through? Oh, like, well. Was touring bands coming through there as well, like like to get equipment? No, not really, huh? to be honest. Okay. It was more like, yeah, the older just Newcastle guys. Um, right. You know, like, well, for example, the guy that's still there is working there is a guy named Paul Carroll. Who, right. Uh, Paul, Paul would have been there. He might have been there 25 years now. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, but Paul, like, is a bit of a local surfing legend as well. Right. But he is such an incredible guitar player. And when he plays, he sounds like Eric Clapton. Yes. And I remember, like, you know, just because we were hanging out at the store in the day, I I would go and jam with his band, right. uh, which at, you know, on the weekends then, uh, and I remember them thinking they were all old and they're my age now. <laughs> at the time i remember just because i was you know i was a bit of a gun and i you know i could play anything and i remember just i could play all the notes really fast and then paul would play something and it would just sound a thousand times better than me <laughs> so you know i just would learn things like that and and then there would be uh guys that would come in and bring me CDs, bring me music. I never really had that growing up where I had someone that would expose me to something outside of the ordinary in a way. You know, like I got into Hendrix when I was 12 or 13, but, uh, you know, that was about as avant-garde as you could find because the access to music wasn't as easy then. So, uh, you know, having someone that would bring me in these just random like jazz artists and jazz guitarists and things 
every couple of weeks and they just lend lend them to me so I could check out. It just opened my world to this yes. whole all this music that I would never have heard otherwise. Yeah. So it was it was really incredible and it's uh that place is a tough place to leave and I still help them with social media and things even right. now, right. Uh, whilst on the road just because I like being a part of it. And uh, yeah, they actually moved out of that store a few weeks ago and it was oh, really? pretty sad. Yeah. Oh, right. So um, just oh. moving on to bigger premises and that sort of yeah. thing. But uh, yeah, I was, I managed just randomly because it happened during all the lockdowns Right. to uh, walk into the store the day they were handing over the keys and it was empty. Oh. And so oh. seeing it empty was a bit, yeah, it was a bit sad. For real. Wow. Yeah. I, I, got my, I got my Gibson there. I got yeah. my um, uh, my JCM 800, yeah. uh, old school amp. That, that, that got me travel. It took me a long way. That I used that for years. Had such a nice, very nice warm sound uh yeah. the Dell jcm 800 it was I, I really liked it yeah um, i first went in there when i was nine years old and it was right. just like and i you know i remember like just getting my butt kicked by the owner phil like just just him i asked for something that wasn't right and i remember him just destroying me straight <laughs> up like because he's like he was a bit that. of a hard ass there, that yeah. Phil. <laughs> so uh it was it was great to just you know that and well years later I, I named a song after him actually right, which right. is called the lord mayor of new lambton i saw that i was gonna that was one of the questions i was going to ask <laughs> yeah so um because phil the owner is a huge steely dan nut like he right. absolutely loves steely dan and so uh i just wrote this song it sounds like a rip off of a steely dan song yeah and yeah had to name it after him called so. it the lord mayor lord mayor of newcastle so yeah. Uh, getting back to it, how did you sort of develop, uh, your sort of guitar technique at the start? How, how was it? How did, did you have, uh, people that were teaching you or was it naturally, was a natural sort of progression in your style? Uh, yeah, I definitely had teachers when I started. Yes. Um, you know, I had some great teachers actually like, uh, and once again, come back to this foundation in sort of Newcastle legends in a way. Um, you know, like a couple of my early teachers were, um, Terry Latham, who is, uh, he runs a studio in Ties Hill now. And he also teaches at the university, teaches music and sound engineering. So we were actually on the faculty together. I was teaching at university for a number of years um so having him when i was like 10 or 11 was amazing and then the other one was peter gray who's a famous newcastle bass player um played in a band called the funky doodahs forever in a band Mm. called well swung with bruce matiski who's a pretty famous newcastle guitar player and then he spent the last I'm going to say four or five years touring he was the bass player in mental as anything all right before, um, oh, now I've forgotten the guy's name. The singer died uh, late last year. So, um, yeah, but Pete was touring with them up until that point. So I, I had this foundation of great teachers who were also professional musicians, and that sort of got the ball rolling um, when I was – I think I stopped lessons when I was about 13. Right. And yeah. then I went um, – just crazy into doing things myself and you know guitar the techniques and things i do are 
are very much a part of the music I love equally with, I'm going to almost just say the culture of live music in Newcastle. Yes. Like my music really is a product of like loving all these uh, incredible jazz artists and um, instrumental guitar players that have, you know, crazy technique, like, but then having to work out a way to present that in Newcastle pubs that I wouldn't get something thrown at me. And it's, and you know, it's, it's taken my lifetime really to do that, you know, like to, to have the confidence to walk onto into a pub in Newcastle and play instrumental music and sort of develop things. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely been, yeah, guided by those two things. And how was that? How has that uh, come across? You know, or over these years now, especially like in Newcastle, um, where they where you don't have a singer. Uh, do you have to sort of pick the venues that you have to play at, or is it um, are they pretty generally okay with, with with your style of music? No, no one's. Yeah, originally it was very hard. Mm. You know, I know, I know the first the first gig I did that was regular. Uh, that was instrumental was at the Delaney Hotel. Come on. Like early 2000s. <laughs> yes. um, and the Wednesday nights there used to be, they'd almost were considered the muso nights. Yes. So they were the bands that were like, you know, the highest sort of caliber around town. And mm-hmm. uh, the band I was in at the time was called Fumi Boca. And nice. we were, um, you know, and it was, we did play, we were all played covers in cover bands as well and we could all sing at the time i wouldn't dare sing anymore but we initially why is that we've done (laughs) i'll go into that in a second okay okay okay. (laughs) well uh well so we we'd done a few shows at the dell on a sunday where they had a songwriter's night so it was like like a short set and we packed the place out everyone went nuts they're like okay we'll give you a wednesday night where it's three sets, but you have to do two sets of covers and oh. sing. Like you can do one set of your stuff where it was saxophone, guitar, drums, and bass. Yes. And we, we prepared to do that. We're like, okay. We turned up for the first set and the pub was packed. I'm talking like maybe three or 400 people had come to see the gig. Wow. So the first set actually ended up only being three songs, 45 minutes. There were three songs because they were all just, solos and things happen so we just went with it and that's what happened at those gigs like for five years i think we Uh. like we were told we had to do this i don't think we ever would no, i know we never sang a song that whole time (laughs) (laughs) and and it was just um you were saying before you you played three or four songs but is that just like improvisation yeah exactly yeah every every you're just gonna get so do you just say hey um, here's the part, you know, we're going to play, play the rhythm and then, okay, you go and play a solo. Is that how it how... Yeah. Essentially like, uh, when you compose, you compose for improvisation, if right. that makes sense. So it's still, it's still going to have a song. Um, you know, like, so especially the way I write music, you could still tell that this is maybe a verse and this is a chorus mm-hmm. and then you know, you can either go two ways where then you just play the verse and chorus again, but instead of having the melody that you would have had, now it's just someone soloing over it and improvising that. And that can just be open-ended or 
you know, the other way that we used to write, especially in that band, was you could have verse, chorus, and then the bridge section might be the solo. So it's like right. goes to a new section and that becomes the, the improvisation. But, yeah, they, they just end up open-ended. So a song, you know, I, when, when you record an album, you might make that shorter just to yes. make the song catchier. So it could go for three minutes, but live it could go for 20. And that, and just uh, just going off topic, just listening uh, to your music today, uh, mm. some uh, just going through all your career uh, from from the first album to the to the recent uh, one yeah. that you're about to release. Um, I, I listen to it and it's like, yeah, it's cool, but I wanna I wanna see it. See I, it, I, yeah. I, sure. I want to see it. You know, that's the type of music that I wanna just sit there and go, ah, you know. That's yeah. cool, you know? And I you know think I mean? that was always the joy of, like, uh, especially instrumental music for me. It was that um, you have this open-endedness and, you know, it does connect and is very much inspired by the audience. Yes. So, uh, and you can, like, twist a song and take it to a different place every night depending what the audience gives you or who they are. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's really fun to be able to do that, that you've got this – this basic framework of a song and then, you know, that's at the start of the end. So you go, Oh yeah, that's that song. But then the middle part just becomes this, uh, I, I would say like a very interactive thing that hopefully it's not just interactive between maybe the band, uh, but also with the audience as well. And especially when I play solo, it's very much me and the audience. I, it's yeah. not like, I'm just here shredding by myself. I like it's, and I have a disregard for whatever anyone's <laughs> doing out there. Uh, it's very much informed by, you know, who's in front of me and what, what they're doing and how they're responding. And, you know, so it's, it's, I, yeah, I really find it amazingly connective in that way, creating this music. It's not just like, here's my song. This is it. I'm playing it for you. It's, it very much becomes a back and forth. And, and for you, like, uh, keeping it fresh as well, like, uh, you know, going to the next gig and not knowing, you know, okay, you know, I'm just going to go out and just jam on something, you know? Yeah. That, that is exciting and fresh for someone that's done it for so long, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. And it keeps, uh, you know, especially having played Newcastle for so long, I think yes. it keeps people coming back because they go, oh, I wonder how he's going to play that song tonight. I wonder yeah. what that's going to, how that's going to turn. Or, um, yeah, it definitely keeps it, you know, you tend to not get as bored with your material mm, um, yes. because you go, all right, well, I've got this song. Even if you just play it a bit slower, a bit faster than usual, just turns things in a different direction. Yes. And mm. do you have people coming up to you going, hey, you know, you play that a little bit slower this time. That was so cool, you know. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely people uh, pick up on things that sometimes I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> keeping it around. And, yeah. um, and with, like, the, the tuning as well, like, do you, do you keep it to, a, like, a, a standard tuning or do you like to sort of change the tuning to? I, I play everything in standard tuning. Right. I, um, so on a guitar, it's just I, I will sometimes do what's called drop D, which is just tuning <laughs> your lowest string down. Yes. Um, there's one song on one album that's an open C tuning, right? But but everything else is standard, and it's I think it goes back to my keyboard days. Right. Is that um, when I first learned to play the guitar? Unlike most people that 
like learn chord shapes and shapes up and down because I didn't have a teacher for maybe a month after I picked it up. I actually just worked out where the keyboard was on each string. So when I, when I look at a guitar, I see black and white keys on it up and down (laughs) each string. And so if that gets changed, I'm lost. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like if someone just randomly changed all the keys around on a piano, like, yeah. I yeah, so I I tend to not stick around in it. It just yeah, um, yeah it doesn't. Your ears are sort of me. like accustomed to it, and you hear something different. Yeah. Well, it's not so much my it's my fingers and my eyes. It's right. like I just if if you know if I put my finger here, I go well that's a D. If if that string is now a different pitch and that's not a D anymore, yeah. then my relationship to all the other strings is out, and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's very interesting. So let's talk about the the Newcastle music scene. Yeah. Um, I I always like talking about it with uh, local musicians and bands. You know, I think I'm around the same age as you. um, And when I would go out in town, there must have been, you know, at least seven or eight different places where I could go out during the week or on the weekend especially. And it it didn't matter who it was, I'd go out and watch, watch a live band. Yeah. You know, if we didn't like this band, we could go and to another venue and watch another live band. And yeah. gradually we'd find someone that, that you know, that was cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it had a real good live scene. There was lots of musos. There was lots of uh, original bands. Now I don't know where to go. Hmm. <laughs> well, there's some places that still have live music, yeah. but from 20 years ago to now... It's changed a lot. So tell us a little bit about that, the change in your opinion and why, why that sort of happened. Yeah, cool. Well, I think it's I think it's just evolved is probably my best explanation of it. And it just changes uh, with scenes and age groups as well. Um, I, I actually think Newcastle, especially, well, pre-lockdowns and COVID, yes was in a really strong place for live music. Right. Um, you know, when I was, so around, you know, 2000, late 90s, early 2000s, the scene in Newcastle was very strong for cover musicians. Mm. And so, and there were bands playing everywhere. Yes. Uh, and like in that era, era the, the solos and duos playing with the backing tracks because you had to have that. You weren't allowed to not use backing tracks in those days. <laughs> which I was super against and no one would give me a gig. (laughs) But, um, and, you know, and then it went through this period. I know for me, like all I can really talk about is the scenes I was involved in. So I was very much in original music back in those days. So I was doing gigs and there were gigs around, but no one was at them. Yes. Like the, the original music thing, like it was very dead. Yeah. You know, we, I remember we did an album launch at SJ's in, I'm going to say, it was probably 2000 and, you know, people turned up for that, but usually our gigs had like four people there. Yeah. Um, and then like sort of the singer songwriter scene developed in the 2000s and there started to be these songwriter nights around where people would like sort of appreciate, I guess, original music. And that I think really propelled things in Newcastle and changed the idea of what, original music was i think people thought it was just and it was for a lot of part like heavy 
stuff. Yes. And so then a lot of like, even like the good cover musicians, respected cover musicians around town were starting to play original things at this. And it became quite special in that way. Um, and then as it went on, what, what I've found is just that the scenes move and it is very much a, an age group thing as well. Like yes. it's, you know, I, I've been very lucky, especially in recent years as I've got older, to be to teach at the university in Newcastle, right. um, teaching music. Through that, I sort of still connected with a lot of the younger musicians, like yes. coming through and was able to like see where they were playing or I would be playing gigs and they'd all turn up to watch yes. me play. And so it was, it's sort of really cool. So there's this little pocket of uh, gigs playing, which I still play when I'm in town that have very, um, where you can sort of just go and play anything, yes. you know, and the people in that go to those venues tend to just go, oh, I don't know what this is going to be, but yeah. I'm sure it'll be good. Like usually the person that books it at least curates it and goes, you know, this, you could get like a bluegrass band playing around one mic now, or you could get, um, you know, a soloist that plays like an old, like MIDI drum machine, but it sounds like, you know, most things coming off triple J, but yeah. it's like, it's, and it's, it's really cool and diverse. Or then you'll get me playing instrumental guitar in the corner of the pub. So yeah, yeah. like, you know, my favorite venues in town are like the Oriental hotel in Cooks Hill, which I yeah. play a lot. I like Cole and Cedar that, you know, sort of has a blue slant. It's a whiskey bar. The Edwards was doing great music for oh, yes. a while. I'm not, you know, uh, obviously it's all sort of changing now. Is uh, old, old Chris Iwana, does he get the old bass out and uh, do some silver chair? <laughs> uh, Chris, Chris does not. Chris has, like, left his uh, music behind for uh, oh. just being, a, a, you know, a mogul of bars around Newcastle pretty much now. Yes, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, and then I actually still help book and run a gig at the Grand Hotel in the Underground, oh, yes. which is called uh, NEMA. It runs every Tuesday night, which is the Newcastle Improvised Music Association. Come on. And so that's that's a jazz gig that's ticketed, and it's every Tuesday. And uh, we, you know, we have people from all around the world coming to play this venue. And they most people go, what, what on earth is this? Why are there so many people here? But it's just become this thing that presents really different music than you get anywhere else. But has just been able to maintain. I think it's it was running for eight years. I think wow. up until before this. So yeah, I went there a couple of times before I, I left Newcastle, and it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and they've all done it up, and because uh, you know, like in the early two thousands, that was yeah. like you know you, you couldn't move in those places, and I would just uh, yeah. like a DJ, and I was like, why don't they have bands in this in this place? You know, it would be good. Yeah. And then walked in, and there was all like lounges and, and you know, yeah. all, all, all new furniture. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, we really tried to make it feel like a New York jazz club, and it really mm. does. Like, to yeah, me, it does, it's, yeah. it, except it's still actually physically bigger than most of the jazz clubs in <laughs> New York. Um, you know, it really has that vibe. And I've had friends from all around the world play there now. Like, right. Um, so and cool. they're, they're just shocked that, you know, something like this exists. They just couldn't believe. And even just the diversity of the crowd. Because, um, and, you know, at that gig, and I find in a lot of gigs I play, you know, there's people there from 18 to 70. 
Yes. Like there's just people of all age groups come together to like share in the same music. And I think, well, that's pretty hip. So, yeah, yeah. I think Newcastle's in a really good place or it has been. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm always sort of looking out for new musicians here in Newcastle and trying to, you know, promote them in any way. I, I would like to get it back to, you know, instead of having to go to Sydney or Melbourne, sort of. Yeah. Well, Let's that's record and, not, it's not you know, the case anymore. Yeah. Like yeah, there's, there's great studios here. There's great producers. There's people, you know, making music in Newcastle. It's constantly getting played on Triple J now. That's great. Um, and there is definitely a scene of gigs and an audience to support the creativity of that as well. Like where right. people are turning up and experiencing it and, you know, giving you input to work out what works and what doesn't work in that environment. And, you know, it's healthier than most cities I've been to in the world, strangely That's enough. Great. You know, That's as you watch music shut down, I've always been astonished how newcastle keeps going yes yeah that's that's great to hear like um uh, you know like i said i don't don't live here anymore yeah. but uh you know it was always cool to come back and and, and see that the, the newcastle the music scene is sort of uh going ahead and it's great to hear that people like you that are still sort of you know waving the flag for the totally the totally and it's, scene and you know the quality of stuff here is just insane you know yeah. i often uh, one of the first things I used to tell my university students when they first came, uh, especially that uh, there was an era like 10 years ago where people stopped going out a lot, even young kids, I guess, cause it just got expensive and there was so much mm. entertainment at home. Yes. And I used to have these students come into me and I'm like, Oh, so what sort of music would you go and watch? And they're like, Oh, you mean on YouTube? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, in real life. And they're like, oh, I've never seen a band in real life. Oh. And they're, and these are people that are studying music degrees. Wow. So, um, so, but it was really easy for me to go, oh, okay, so who do you like? And I could give them, you know, especially guitar players. I was like, well, here's a list of 10 guys in Newcastle that will, that's better than off. this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that will give yeah. you, you'll be able to see them do it in real life. So, mm. uh, and yeah, that's still the case. So yeah, oh. I'm still blown away about by the whole Newcastle music scene, but it does evolve. And, yeah. you know, maybe if you're not in the know or know someone that tells you where you should maybe go and check out at the moment, it could be a little difficult. Yes. Yeah. But keep doing that, you know, even for the, the newer sort of people that are going out, like mm. got to tell them live music. That's what it's all about. Go, yeah, go and see yeah. a band. You know, yeah. don't go to YouTube. Don't sit on your phone. Well, it's, it's hard right now. We'll see. <laughs> well, yes, yes, at this period. But uh, yeah. you know, when, when all the restrictions are, uh, are away, yeah. go, go and see a live band. Go Exactly. And promote it. So let's, let's talk about your music now. So yeah, sure. uh, your first album, I do believe, was in 2001. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So, how did this all come about? Like, um, and uh, how did you form? Did you form your band at that stage, or were you still doing? So, so that album is entirely solo. Like right. It's just solo guitar. It's just me. Easiest way that album was recorded as a university assignment. Right. For sound engineering when I was doing okay. sound engineering at university. Right. So and. Two- 2001 so yeah. uh were these all the songs that you you sort of like ha- had written 
I think a lot start? of it, yeah, some of those, like, I know I track one on that is a song called Alone, and I wrote that, I think, when I was 15. Right. So okay. I was, I would have been 20 when I recorded that album. So it was, yeah, so they were, like, nearly all the songs I'd written up until that point. And I recorded that album because the year before I'd finally got to meet and perform with Tommy Emmanuel. Wow. And then I was going off on tour with him the following year in Australia. So um, I wanted to have an album to sell for that. But it was weird in those days because, like, printing CDs cost a fortune. Yes. You know, like, distribution wasn't a thing. Uh, yeah, so that and it was sort of a bit new there at that well, stage it, as well. Yeah, you didn't sell anything online. That didn't yes. happen honestly for another eight years. Yes. Um, so that that album actually never got printed. I have burnt copies that I used to make right. and, print, and print the covers out. Maybe at Officeworks. I think Officeworks was around then on their yes. like their good printer, and I used to cut them out and put them in the plastic CD tray. And so, you know, there might have been, I might have made like 30 of them. Right. And I think I've still got 10. (laughs) And uh, did you, uh, was was that a a tour after that or was it just sort of local still at that stage? Just toured around like, well, not really tour. Like I did shows around New South Wales. Right. I think I went, yeah, I went to Melbourne a couple of times and did some guitar festivals down there. Okay. Yeah. So, so any any in particular, like any like big festivals, or were just like some well, more... they they were guitar festivals. So there was right. one called the Frankston International Guitar Festival, which they had guitar players from all around the world, but it was predominantly right. set around uh, instrumental and you know high quality guitar playing. So right, yeah, okay. Mm. And then uh, your follow up album was three years later. Yeah. Um. So. I'm always interested to know uh, why why did it take three years to bring out another album? Was it just because of the, you know, uh, uh, where you were at that stage? Or? Yeah, I think because at that stage I was also doing a lot of other bands. I was in quite a few other things through that stage. So my own stuff wasn't really a Perfect. thing. Right. And it was still the, the thing in those days where I couldn't play this stuff anywhere in Newcastle. Right. There was nowhere I could go and do a gig. So like where, no where were would, you going? So would you go back down to Melbourne and Sydney? And No, no, no. I just wasn't doing a gig anywhere. Right. It was like I, I would play this stuff at home, but there was no actual outlet to play. So it, it was uh, – and basically it was just another tour with Tommy Emmanuel I got. So I decided right. to finally get another album to uh, go on that tour with him to sell. So ah. um so that uh, is the, he, he seems to be like a bit of a mentor for you, like, uh, you know, somewhat, a bit of inspiration. Yeah. It was, uh, well, a huge inspiration, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, as far as instrumental music goes in Australia, he he was the man, you know. Like, his albums were top five in the ARIA charts in the 90s when they get released. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, he was on, like, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, every every week it was on, he was there guesting as someone. So he was definitely a household name. And, you know, getting to play shows with him and open doing my own stuff was an amazing thing because before that, all I'd ever really played of that style of music was his song. So I then right. had to find, you know, stuff to play of my own. So it was it was. And it was a really good foundation as well because it, 
I guess even in those days, because I'd done so much original music as well already, like I was playing in other bands that did do fairly big festivals like Day on the Green and things in Australia and stuff like that, like more popular music. I was aware of being different. So, you know, it was that time I was like, I was really trying to focus on creating something different and not just walking out being a little Tommy Emmanuel clone yes. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that music in that period was, yeah, very much influenced by trying to create different, trying to play the guitar a little bit different. And also uh, a lot of the songs on that album were things we were playing at the Delaney Hotel in that band. Right. So there's the Fumi Boca songs are on that album as okay. well, a few of those. So, yeah. No worries. And then uh, next one is 2008, Out of My Hands. Yep. Yep. And again, it was a, a, a four-year wait for yep. another album. Again, was it the same thing, or was it? Uh, uh, it's a similar, yeah. Just a you know the evolution of life uh, yes. as you like mid twenties, uh, watching everyone sort of uh, grow up a bit, like yes. actually get real jobs. Uh, <laughs> you know, starting to find their feet, and you know, I I did go through a period then which. I did make a CD, but it's not available anywhere uh, oh. where I did sing and went, oh. well, I'm going to be John Mayer. And so, <laughs> you know, went down the pop route yes. and tried to do that for, a, so that was probably in the middle between those two albums right. really. Um, but ultimately I just had nothing to say. My songs yes. were terrible when they were, had vocals, the lyrics right. were bad and I'm just not a very good singer. It just made me sound like, uh, an average musician as a friend pointed out to me he's like yeah it just sounds like whatever he's <laughs> like but when you just play guitar it's incredible yeah. so that was a huge part of it and I was yeah. ready to also probably just give up in the middle of that too. just mm-hmm. go you know well I've you know I've done the music thing it's maybe time to think about life a little bit more yeah grow up a little yes yeah take responsibility and, but... <laughs> yeah but in, I actually went for my first trip by myself overseas in that time as well. Right. So I went, okay. I went to the US and Switzerland for uh, a couple of months. And in that time, I got to meet and then play with a few of my heroes over there. And that was like, and that, that gave me the confidence to go, oh, okay, so maybe, you know, I'm not just a kid from Newcastle and maybe yes. I could you know, take this to a global stage. And so, and you that know what really... I, so sorry. Um, uh, and I was reading it on your website, how it, even with uh, when you're in LA, uh, the, the different types of musicians that you get to meet over there um, would totally inspire you and, and, you know, start to, you know, again, let's, let's learn a new album. Let's, yeah, you know. exactly. And that's always the thing, like, and especially mm. I've been super lucky to meet like the people I'd listened to from all, from all that point, like, cause they're not, they're not rock stars, but yeah. in my head, I think they're rock stars. Cause they're, yes. you know, they were all I would listen to, but you know, just getting to meet some of these people and most of them have become good friends now that, you know, I see how they live their lives. I see like, you know, how they go about sort of doing their business in music. And it doesn't have to be this whole all or nothing yes. sort of thing. Like they can balance family life. They can balance, 
you know, things with creating music. And often that is the focus of being creative rather than selling in a way. Yes. And so, yeah, on the trip leading up to recording that album, I, I got to meet this guy named Charlie Hunter, who's, um, plays this, we, he was famous for a long time for playing this eight string guitar where he plays bass oh, cool. and guitar at the same time. Oh, wow. And it's incredible. And, you know, he like, he's so huge, you know, should be so big that like Nora Jones first recording was a guest artist on one of his albums wow. before she released her blue note album. That, and then is that how you hold the, the, like the, you play with your thumb and like, uh, you... no, Charlie actually doesn't do that. He's, Oh, he doesn't even need to do that. He's so good. Oh, really? um, and then John Mayer is also a huge fan of Charlie. So uh, ah. Charlie has recorded songs on John Mayer albums and things as well. And um, so Char- I met, I managed to meet Charlie on this trip. And so that was just ah. incredible and just be able to hang out with him for a while. And mm. then I, a day, the day after that, I was back in New York city and managed to, talk my way into playing two shows with the Les Paul on wow. Broadway. So I, I did two shows as the guest artist on the Les Paul show in Broadway. So wow. um, for those experience. who don't know who Les Paul is, like he died a couple of years later mm. in his late nineties, but he was the guy that essentially invented multi-track recording so the ability to play something and then play over yourself which is the foundation of everything ever since yes yes he he invented the echo effect or delay tape delay by you know manipulating tape machines so they would echo to play something after him and um then you know he had a lot to do with the modern electric guitar as well and you know one of the most famous guitars of all time is the gibson les paul And that is his, was his signature model. So that's where it all sort of stems from. So being able to do like those two things really gave me this, the courage to, um, yeah, yeah, to keep going with music. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did you get to speak to Les Paul? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did he have any words of advice to give you Um, or just, just talking in advice were actually, um, and this was before going on to stage. He was just, cause he'd right. never heard me play. I basically, it's a, it's a long story, but you know, he'd never heard me play. So he just invited me on. He's just like, remember, it doesn't matter how many notes you can play or how fast you are. This is a performance. You know, the, the audience is the, the key thing here. So make sure you go out and entertain. Yeah. So, um, that was, and you know, that was something I'd learned from Tommy Emmanuel even when I was yes. much younger, like just how important that side of things is. But um, yeah, that was his main thing. And he was like, it was pretty serious. He might've even like done the finger, you know, like pointed <laughs> the finger at me while saying this, like just to make sure you do this when you come out. It's not just about your guitar playing. It's about the show. Yeah, right. Ooh. So did you, did that make you want, to go back to the US a bit more, like a bit of a, uh, probably a bit more of a following, uh, more musicians, more opportunities to play. Definitely the opportunity and the, the inspiration that I yes. got there. Yeah. Definitely yes. attracted me back. So, you know, if I could manage to do those things in two days while not thinking I was going to play anywhere, <laughs> while I was just on a holiday, if I, you know, if I could go back focused with trying to achieve things yeah it definitely just 
yeah, open my world. And just being in those places where there's so much history of music and the music I love, like, you know, especially in New York City then where a lot of the venues were still open, which they're not, unfortunately, now, mm. um, you know, just because they've closed down because of real estate and things like that. Yes. It was, yeah, it was incredible. It was yeah. just super inspiring. And it it has been ever since, you know, just being able to go there and be in that. And, um, and then I remember like the first time I was doing my own Adam Miller shows in New York and, uh, on the subway with a, you know, a guitar on my back and carrying an amplifier through the <laughs> gates, you know, like that was, that was like one of the most fun days of my life. Like yes. I'll never forget just, it was so awkward and so hard, but I was so stoked that I was getting the subway to a gig. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. What a memory. Yeah. So you got, that was 2008 out of my hands and then yeah. you went into the next 2012, delayed yep. another four years to, yep. to release this one. But I think at this stage, you, you sort of like a progression with, with your sort of, you know, the music that you were creating there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it definitely, it was, uh, so I was starting to be in the US a lot more and delayed was actually made. And, you know, this is the thing about the US, like I'd, I went back once in 2009 after that first trip, yes. uh, which, you know, was actually to propose to my wife. She was working there at the time. And oh, I was surprised that's, that's lovely. And that was amazing. And I hung out with Charlie Hunter, as I mentioned before. We, we hung out and played a lot while I was there. Yes. And then I went back the following year early and played at this huge trade show in Anaheim. It's like the biggest music trade show in the world it's like 300 400,000 people go and it's you know every rock star you've ever known is there as well because they've all got mm. product endorsements so right. um yeah i i got offered a record deal because this someone heard me play walking around there but it didn't go very well so it took it it took two years of negotiating getting the thing done and then eventually sort of getting out of that record deal. Right. So it took a while to do it. And they very specifically wanted a solo acoustic guitar album. So like me just playing solo, just playing guitar in front of microphones and that's it. So it might not have been the album I would have made at that time, but that's what they wanted. And by the time it was all done, I was like, well, I've got to roll with this now. There's too much work in this just to scrap it. Yeah. Yeah. Was your wife from the US or no? No, she's from Newcastle. Oh, Newcastle as well, right? Oh, very lovely. Then we continue on 2014, uh, Shifty Units, yeah, uh, 2016, uh, collaboration, yeah, Jason Lowe. So, tell me about this one. Tell us a little about the 2016 collaboration with Jason. So, so Jason, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all, is a very fine Newcastle musician. He, um, he won the ABC Newcastle Music Awards in, I'm going to say 2008, as what? a like 18 year old, and he's just, he's a savant. He's he's incredible. He just, you know, his music is equal parts like Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, wow. Harry Manx. So he's an incredible songwriter and poet, and also like. He, he's also an incredible slide guitar player, so lap slide where you play the guitar with a bar in your lap and he's just has an incredible ear and musicality. And so Jason and I had recorded, I actually produced his the song that won that award 
Right. And then he released an album for ABC Records and I produced that as well. So we'd work together a lot and we'd often just like jam around and we were both between projects actually. Like we were both like in this stage of we were about to record something, but it wasn't ready yet. We were just waiting. Yes. And he would often come around to my house and just drink tea. Right. We'd just hang out and chat. And then one afternoon I just said, hey, do you want to just bring your guitar around today? <laughs> and so he did, and he didn't know what for. And I'd already just set up two amplifiers and microphones. And so we just jammed for half an hour. And that's that. That's what you hear there. Wow. So I think, I think there was one song that we jammed on that just didn't sound very good. And then there was another song on that EP, which is essentially, it's what's called the Force theme from Star Wars, because we're both <laughs> Star Wars nuts. Right. And so we recorded that. So that is not on like the the Spotify version of things, but it's on the Bandcamp version of it. And it's on SoundCloud, I think, as well. As well. But literally, we just jammed. We just, sometimes we might have had a discussion before we started playing, but I think most of the time we just one of us would start something and that was the, and that's what you heard. So it was really fun and spontaneous. So we recorded it that afternoon. I'd mixed it a couple of days later and it was out a week later. Wow. Yeah. But, and again, it just goes to show that you're sort of, you're not just sort of sticking to the one thing, you're sort of going in different directions, you know. And, yeah. and as a musician, that that's that's good. You need that. You need that sort well, of. Well, uh, yeah. It's always been a part of my world. Like I've been in so many other bands and playing for other artists in the midst of this. And sometimes that's like the long gaps between albums is, you know, it's that I've been recording for someone else or recording in someone else's project. I've been on tour for a long time. So yeah, there's generally a lot of space there that happens, you know, Mm. and, and life that you just, um, doesn't make it the easiest to think about creating new works yes yes Mm. and then 2018 you also released uh, the define of success yeah the defining of success defining of success so tell us a little bit about this one Uh, this is a bit more recent yeah so was this done here in newcastle or yeah yeah this was mainly recorded at the house i was living in in cardiff Right, um, okay. So the the technology, yeah, was, the world we live in. <laughs> well, actually all my albums have been done at, at home. Like they nice. or they've all been recorded and produced by me, but even yeah, my 2000 back then I recorded that in in my bedroom as the university assignment. So right. it's pretty crazy. Um, uh, saving costs on, you know, going into a recording Saving costs, but just, I just enjoy it so much. Like I, you know, recording is such a fun part of making music. Yes. Like actually listening to your instrument back, you know, even as you're doing it, just going, oh, wow. And just you being the person in control of where that microphone sits and the rest of it, it's, it's really fun. So I actually really enjoy that part of the process. And then uh, more recently, or we're talking about it before, uh, the release... Yeah. Uh, so the album hasn't hasn't come out yet, but you no. have released a couple of singles from the album, right? I'm about to release a single, actually, as we right. discussed. So, tell, so nothing nothing is out yet. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this. Tell us a little um, bit about the single. Yeah. So the the single is actually inspired by another great friend and hero of mine, this guy named Adam Levy, and he he's most famous as being like Nora Jones' guitar player. Right. He played 
Give Me One Reason, Tracy Chapman. He's the guitar player on that. We've been friends for a number of years, and he's even played at the Underground at the Grand Hotel oh, with come on. <laughs> a few years ago. So we've, we've done a lot together over the years, and we were at a jam in Los Angeles last year. He just started playing this chord progression for us. To, it was to jam along to, and I loved it so much. I just checked whether it was a song he'd written. He's like, oh, no, I just made it up then. So I kind of stole that as the basis for the song and then just, you know, made other things around it. So it's really exciting. This album is the first album I haven't recorded in Newcastle, actually. So I recorded it in Los Angeles um, last year. uh, For for everybody else that that doesn't know, have you moved to L.A. or is that? Who knows? we, We lived in L.A. for most of last year. Right. Um, although we didn't have a consistent house between touring and all those <laughs> things. And then we were, we were moving back. We'd spent Christmas here and just getting some things sorted and we're moving back in March. So, yeah. So we don't, I, who knows? Yes. <laughs> you know, the, the hope is that we would get back there, but, you know, saying anything about international travel and moving right now is yes. a little, a little bit. <laughs> It's <laughs> too difficult to, to sort of say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But So, yeah, this album was the first one I've recorded uh, overseas. And so I guess it's just in my new home, I would say. And that was definitely the thing at the time. And with my L.A. band. So, yeah, it's, it's the music's just a little bit uh, more refined. And I kind of say that from the point of view of that it is sort of as some of the music I'd written and played in Newcastle and a lot of it I'd written and played in the US, maybe half and half. And so it's sort of got this, uh, it's a little bit more refined in that it reflects the audiences I get to play to in the US versus Aussie pubs. Yes. I I totally understand. Yeah. So that's, that's what I wanted to ask. Um, uh, how, how have you adjusted living in LA? I mean, it's a huge jump from Newcastle. Look, it and, is and, and it isn't. <laughs> and tell I us think. about tell, tell us about like the music scene there. Yeah. I love LA. Some people hate LA. Um, oh. I'm a big fan of it. I've been there four times. I really like the vibe there. I keep saying it on the podcast. <laughs> it yeah. gets repetitive, but um, I, I really do like the fact that there's not a lot of people that actually are, are born in LA. You know, they've come from all different, you know, oh, what do you want to do? I want to be a musician. I want to be a makeup artist. I want to be, you know, um, and that's really inspiring. Yeah, I think that is. Like LA, LA, I do actually find a little bit similar to Newcastle. Really? Which sounds insane in that, you know, from the surface, it's a big, ugly city that just doesn't seem to have anything going for it. So I understand a lot of people disliking it. Yes. And I disliked it the first couple of times I went too. But the more you know people, you realize yes. that it's just, it really is just a giant city made up of tiny communities. Yes. And so, like, when you find your little hood, like, it, you know, I, sometimes I'm in places and I'm like, oh, I could be in New Lambton. Or, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, there's probably nowhere as chilled as Merriweather near the beach. But, like, it's, yeah, it, like, it definitely reminds me more of that. And even like the venues and the music I go and see and the places I see it at, I'm like, Oh, well, you know, this could be the Ori, (laughs) um, the Oriental hotel rather than this 
place in uh, East LA. Yes. So, um, you know, the difference, the main difference, like from a music scene point of view is that, um, you know, the people I'm going to see play and playing with and hanging out with are, are equally as incredible as musicians here. Just the thing is the people I'm hanging out with in LA are the musicians. Like they're, yeah. they're the people on those records. So yes. I was talking about this jam with Adam Levy before and, yes. you know, like that jam that day, it was was happening from 10 to 12 every Thursday, 10 to 12 a.m., like 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. at a coffee shop in North Hollywood. And it was outside, and it was put together by the guy that plays guitar for Shania Twain. Right. So he's Shania Twain's guitar player. The day I played was myself, Adam Levy, who I just mentioned was Nora Jones' guitar player for a long time. Um, The... the Keys player that day has been the touring organ player for the Tedeschi Trucks band, who are a pretty famous, like, sort of jam band in the US. Uh, like, everyone there is someone. Yeah. You know, like, you just go, oh, you know that guy? Yeah, he plays for them. <laughs> or he's the guy you heard on that album. Right. So I think I think that's, you know, that's sort of the, the difference and the inspiring thing. And when you know, someone talks about doing a session or a recording tomorrow, mm. you know, it's for someone huge. It's yes. so it's, and you know, that really is just a matter of proximity. Yeah. You know, it's like Newcastle, you know, I've, I always say could nearly be the same thing. It's just, we're not, we're, uh, but it's, yeah. And that, that's what is really inspiring. Um, seeing people of that caliber, every day but them sort of doing the same sort of gigs you could imagine you're watching them in the pub in newcastle and just (laughs) and just going oh okay wow that's you know this is how this person is dealing with the room talking over him the same as everywhere else (laughs) and then you kind of wonder like you know the musicians in the room and you go oh yeah these guys know but then you're going i wonder if the person at the bar knows that this is who this is (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely are they going to play at the Grand Hotel this year? Yeah. Oh, have they? Have they played at the Underground yet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, they have? Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Post-pandemic, uh, yeah. uh, what, what does the future hold for Adam Miller? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I really uh, don't like, It doesn't any... have to be, like, music-wise, like, like family. Yeah, yeah we're just, look, it's, I think it's just because our world is so upside down right now and we just mm. haven't been able to make decisions. We don't even know which country we're living in. <laughs> it's, um, you know, uh, right now we're in a, in a room at my parents' house yes. uh, because we were just here until we moved back. And so uh, trying to get a, a place to rent is, you know, that's a 12-month commitment really. So yes. I'm not sure if we're doing that or if we're waiting for borders to open back up and, move or if there's even work in the u.s so uh i think it's really it's nice to be in a situation of just total unknown yes it is and just um having to be somewhat totally faith guided that things will (laughs) work out some way uh but i'm not i'm not really willing to speak to it yet you know because it's just there's just so many unknowns i'm just really enjoying trying to enjoy like the moments of right now of like uh, being now that 
restrictions have eased that we can see family and friends that we didn't think we would get to see as much right now. Um, I'm a super avid keen mountain biker. Oh. You know, my sporting claim to fame was I was ranked first in Australia in downhill as a teenager. There you go. For, wow. for a period of a, like a week or something between events, but still. So, um, if, so if the music music doesn't go back, you can uh, go back to the yeah, intro. Yeah, it, it's not a good idea. But yeah, you know, like in Newcastle, you know, we have these incredible mountain bike trails that are on the ocean in Glenrock. Yes. Uh, this state recreation park. So it's crazy. You're like, you know, doing mountain biking, then you come out and it's this beach that, you know, it's only a few crazy surfers sort of go to. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I'm just taking advantage of all those things of while I'm here because they were all the things that I was letting go of moving back to the US that I was like, well, I can't afford a bike in the US and I, we won't have a car for a while. So I couldn't even drive to somewhere in LA that I could ride a bike anyway and um you know close proximity just to the beach and good coffee and friends and um and just the stress of not having to book shows right now like if one of the hardest things i think and this is always the case like talking future plans with a musician is that there is no certainty in anything yes so uh and you're having to sell yourself every day like so you know, the easiest way I've found it explained to someone that doesn't work in the arts is imagine doing like a job application, but doing 30 of them a day, like <laughs> all individualized. Yes. And then for most of them, you never get a reply. You don't get a no <laughs> or a yes or a maybe. You just get no answer. So, you know, this, this, yeah, the stress of that does take its toll and it gets insane. So I'm really... I'm enjoying the break from that right now of not trying to, you know, book the shows. I don't, I don't mind planning tours and planning plane flights and accommodation and all that. I, you know, I, I enjoy the travel side of things and even organizing that, but the actual getting the, the concert to play and locking all that in the first place is a, is a daunting, difficult process. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm super thankful to not have to do that for a little while. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, let's keep us posted uh, on your upcoming events. So let's start to wrap it up. So what advice would you give to an inspiring musician? Maybe yeah. not new, not necessarily yeah, Newcastle, but, 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 but anyway, what advice would you give to an gu- aspiring guitar player? Well, I think the main thing now is that you have access to everything. Mm. And I know I didn't have that when I was growing up. So if you want to learn anything or see and play something, you pretty much can. Mm. So try to take advantage of that as much as possible. Um, I think, you know, playing music with other people is a really important thing. Yes. And it, it's another easy thing to just get, you know, uh, locked in your bedroom. Uh, and it's, it's important to share music not just from – the technical and getting better point of view, but also from just the community point of view. I think that's more, more apparent now as we've been, you know, not had community for a few months that just the, the enjoyment of sharing and playing music with other people is pretty incredible. Um, yeah. And just to, um, you know, try to close down your fears as much as possible to actually, do things and like especially now i find so many people are so scared to release music 
Mm. It's sort of funny, mm. like they're like, oh, I can't do that. And I get it because now, I, like I mentioned earlier, is when you release something, it is on the same playing field yes. as everyone else. Yes. But if you don't start doing it, you sort of never will. You'll just put it off forever. That's so, right. And it's, it's a great snapshot in times, you know, like a couple of my albums, like I look back and go, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> and man, I wish I'd just played that again. But, yes. you know, it's, it's just part of it. And, it, you know, it goes, a, for me personally, I can go back and hear, not that I do it very often, but I had to do it recently where I, I changed the digital dis- distribution of all my albums. So I actually had to oh. go back and, you know, when you upload them, you have to check it all. Right. So you have yes, to listen yes. and make sure everything went through the internet, right? And so it was it was really interesting to actually listen to some of these old things and go, oh, okay, wow. And, you know, and then some of it remembering going, yeah, I remember when I recorded this, like I had to record that day at 8 a.m. because I had to drive somewhere at 9.30 and that was the only time in the day I could do it where there wasn't noise or like, you know, you just sort of remember all the things that sort of or maybe inspired the song. So, yes. yeah, but that's the... I think that's the main thing is just take advantage of all the opportunities yes. and the people around you that the things that you have access to now that, you know, I know I did when In I was even like 20 years ago. Yeah. 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 And uh, you were talking about before, like with your, with your music, like did you at any stage find any pressure to play a certain type of music because of, labels people um, friends yeah, definitely friends, definitely yeah you know? yeah always yeah like you know the thing for me was always you have to sing yeah that was that was the main thing of going like you you have to sing especially early on it hasn't happened for a long time now but uh i think you know ex- except for a very small detour that i did mention i kind of just stuck to this thing of like well this is what i know like yes. even for me 90% of the music I listen to is instrumental. Like it's right. just always connected to me. And I just find so much more for me, I can reveal so much more emotion and explain so much more through the guitar than I ever could lyrically and ever could, you know, trying to sing. So yeah. it's um, that, that's, that has always been the main pressure, but it, it, I'm, pretty stoked that i did just sort of stick to this instrumental idea of like for my own music at least of just going this is how i communicate best yeah, yeah. this is that's your strength that's what you're good at yeah. so yeah. you know and that's uh, what, what i'm always what... working on so you know yeah. like all my titles you know generally hopefully if someone listens to a title they can sort of hear that feeling and that emotion through that music and then you know i could explore of... Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I could explain to you what it means to me, but it might explain something else to someone, you know. To uh, and that's that is the beauty of instrumental music. You're not telling someone how to feel, how to take it. It just uh, it can go off in any direction someone needs. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Adam. Well, I normally do like a a quick a couple of uh, short answers, question and answers. Yeah. And yeah, you just give me the first response that you that you come up with. Uh, what music are you currently listening to now? Uh, John Schofield's new album. Okay. American uh, jazz guitarist, yeah. Awesome. A Newcastle uh, musician that, that uh, some people might not know. 
is uh, Jeremy Minette, who was was a student of mine who just released his first single and took that big step. So his uh, guitar stuff is pretty happening. So awesome, awesome. Yeah, the recent Star Wars uh, makes makes a lot more sense if you dive into the Clone Wars series and Rebels and all that sort of extended stuff. Uh, and you can make up for anything with your imagination. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and your 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 top five all-time bands? Well, artists. So oh, artists. Bill, Bill Frizzell. Let's say The Living End, just to go random. Oh, this is so hard. Those, those two are, like, have been huge influences on me. Uh, Robin Ford, uh, Charlie Hunter. Now I'm lost. Now I've got nothing else. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and finally, um, promotions and any endorsements that you want to talk about uh, to finish up on? No, I just, you know, I have my new album coming out on August 7, which is called Unify. And, um, yeah, that's it. All right, Adam. Thank yeah. you very much for your time, mate. I really do appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. Uh, and good luck with the new release. And, Thank uh, you, Craig. Make sure make sure you come back when uh, it's all starting up again and you're playing some live yeah, music. Yeah, totally, man. Thanks, Craig. Uh, all right, cool. Not a problem. Have a good all day. Right. Thank you for Thanks, your time. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye, bro.